Well, um, excuse the multitasking this morning. Um, I had the choice between worship leader and um, preaching, and then it transpired that I needed to do both. So forgive me for that, um, and forgive me if my voice is uh, going to start to give out. But um, I don't know about you, but Christmas is a great occasion. I love Christmas Day, but the trouble is it's just not long enough, is it? Uh, not everybody's in accord with that. But, so I find myself sort of slightly caught between wishing the actual day was just a wee bit longer, but not quite the sort of extent of Roy Wooden Wizard that I wish it could be Christmas every day. That's a bit sort of a bit far at that end of the scale. But there's always this sense of, um, well, what next? You know, there's this sort of limbo between Christmas and the new year. And when new year comes, you start to think about your job and what you're going to do to the house and all the rest of it. And there's this sort of limbo bit in between. And what happened next is quite an important question to ask. And so that's what we're going to look at in Luke's gospel. Because although the focus of the gospels is really about the three-year ministry of Jesus on earth, and it's only really in Luke and Matthew we get any account at all of his birth, um, there's a big gap. And it's a good question to ask, what happened next? And so in our study of Luke, we are going to look at what happened next. Very briefly, in two little incidents that are based around the temple in Jerusalem and give us a little snapshot into Jesus in the transition between being born as a baby and starting his public ministry about 30 years later. And so if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Luke chapter 2, we've been systematically working our way through Luke's gospel And this is the last bit of the narrative of Jesus' birth. And if you remember a few weeks ago, those who were here, when Dave Perry kicked this off, he said it started in the temple. And this whole narrative ends in the temple. And it's like a bookend that Luke has put in, start temple, end in the temple. This is the story, the account of Jesus' birth and the events surrounding that. And... um, Maybe Luke put these two little snapshots in to remind us of Jesus' humanity. He grew up, as any other child did at that time in one sense, but also we get hints, as we do all the way through Luke's gospel, of his divine nature as well. So, two little scenes, and we'll take them one by one. Luke chapter 2 and verse 22, and Jesus is presented at the temple. Now, of course, we must remember to a Jew, you see... The temple was where it was at. It's where heaven and earth met. It's the place where God's presence was. It's where God met with his people. It's where forgiveness for sins happened. It all happened there. And Jesus is there. The same one who brings to us the same things. The presence of God, forgiveness of sins, heaven and earth meeting. So, verse 22. At the time... And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, that would have been about 40 days later after Jesus' birth, something like that, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, it so happens that that is a dispensation in the law for the very poorest to offer 
just two pigeons. And Jesus' family, in offering that, we can infer that they were not wealthy people. And so, as Luke makes clear time and time again, Jesus has a heart for the poor and the needy and the marginalized. Throughout his gospel, it's a recurrent theme. And here, just in that little phrase, we understand he not only had a heart for the poor and marginalized, he actually identified with them out of his family circumstances. It's good to remember that when we lack resources, and poor means something like not having the resources to make life happen as it should. That somehow, at least if we come to Christ, we know he understands that, having been there. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. And blessed God. This devout elderly man and the Holy Spirit, three times Luke mentions here the Holy Spirit. Again, a common theme throughout Luke's gospel. When Jesus is around, the activity of the Holy Spirit is around. This devout man was led by the Spirit was full of the Holy Spirit, and on that particular day went to the temple in the Holy Spirit. I can't help noticing the scripture tells us he was devout and righteous, and somehow it's still true that if we devote ourselves to the Lord, the Lord we can be full of the Holy Spirit. If we're righteous and living rightly, we can be full of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus as a baby, was recognized by Simon, Simeon by the power of the Holy Spirit, not just as a child, but for who he was. See, it's one thing to understand there was a baby born. It's quite another to understand who he was. And he speaks out this beautiful passage, which has been set to music so many times, um, called the Nunc Dimittis. Has anybody sung it? The Nunc Dimittis. Yeah. If you've been a, got a choir boy background, you'll have sung this at Evensong. And I love it. And he said this, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. See, Simeon saw salvation in Jesus. Other people around would have seen a small 40-day-old child being brought to the temple. He saw salvation. He saw the end from the beginning. He saw 
had a glimpse of God's purposes that he understood something of out of his history and understand something else, something out of the prophetic Holy Spirit that came on him. But he saw salvation. And more than that, he saw that salvation, saving from sins, all the expectations that the Jewish people had about the Messiah, setting God's people free, Forgiveness for their sins, lost people being found, wrongs being put right, God's very presence amongst them. All those messianic expectations, this phrase, the consolation of Israel, which comes up again in Luke, has got all of that embedded in it. He saw that in the baby Jesus, as if it was happening. And it was. More than that, considering his culture, amazingly, he saw that that was for all people, not just his people. And that's good news for you and me. He also saw this. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, as you would be. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. He also saw that Jesus would be opposed and would be a source of pain to his own mother, maybe prophetically looking forward to when she stood at the cross, seeing him nailed there. And even if, as we hear, she treasured these things in her heart, she knew that he was the savior. One can't help feeling that she had a mother's pain at seeing her son suffer. And somehow Simeon just gave a little preparation for her for that And finally, Simeon lived a fulfilled life. That which he devoted himself to came to pass in his own seeing. He didn't see Jesus' redemptive work. He didn't even see Jesus' ministry, as far as we're aware. But he saw it, and having seen it, it was as good as seeing the whole picture. He understood in seeing Christ, this was what God had promised in saving people and was happy for his life to end because it was fulfilled snapshot number one Jesus at the temple recognized for who he is there was also a prophetess Anna the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Same thing again. Devout, godly lady sees and understands who Jesus is. Snapshot number one. 
When they performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. That's about 140 miles away, by the way. And the likelihood is they would have made that journey to get there and back again by foot with a six-week-old baby. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was on them. Okay. Fast forward 12 years, and we get to snapshot number two. His parents, Joseph and Mary, were still devout because every year they went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so they did this year at the age of 12. Now, Luke never writes anything by accident. Why didn't he write about any other time that they went up there? Well, the age 12, of course, is hugely significant in Jewish culture because it's the age at which the child becomes an adult. Bar mitzvah. Interestingly, as far as we can see in the New Testament or the Old Testament for that matter, there's no concept of adolescence. It's simply child, adult. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to their custom. And when the feast was ended, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Unless we think Joseph and Mary are a bit negligent here, uh, a few things to understand. Firstly, there was a whole whole crowd of people on the journey, friends and acquaintances and relatives, so he could have just been somewhere else. It might have been something like this. At time to go home, when they traveled, according to custom, men and women likely traveled separately or walked in separate groups. Now that he was 12 and an adult, Mary might well have thought that he'd have been with Joseph, because that's where he should be. As an adult, women and children in one group, men in the other. And so she would have thought he was with them. But Joseph might have thought, well, I'm not actually his father. So there's no particular reason to think that he'd be with me. We don't really know. But however it happened, Jesus was with his father. After three days, can't imagine what that would be like. Anybody here lost a child for three days? Hmm. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Okay, well, I think we need to visualize this. Have we got any 12-year-old boys here? Oh, there's a 12-year-old boy there. Come on, come up here, Danny. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> he really is 12. Okay, so just come and sit down here. Okay, just come and sit there on the floor. Um. Sitting among the teachers. Well, have, have we got any godly, wise teachers? Just sit down. Dave Perry. <laughs> and uh, Simon, you're a leader of the church. Um, if you'd like to come and sit up here, that would be good. You have to ask them a question. They, if you don't, they can't answer. Okay. Uh, we probably need it. Al. Yeah, yeah, you sit up there. That's it. Okay. So th- there he was, sitting like this. Okay, and we're going to play... Round one of Get the Teacher Tangled in Knots. Here we go. Right, so what 
Daniel's got to do is ask you a question, and we'll see if you can answer it. So this is round one. Okay, over to Daniel. How do we know God is real? How do we know God is real? Okay, teachers, here we go. <laughs> I didn't know this was part That's of it. It's a bad day. start to laugh at someone if they ask you a question, by the way. No. Um, <laughs> we just have to look at what he's created around us, and we can see him in that and what he's, what, all that he's made. That was all right. <laughs> I would agree with Simon, and I would add, in addition to creation, there's Christ. If you look at creation, look at Christ in faith, you believe God's real. And if you invite him to be part of your life, Holy Spirit um, testifies that we are children of God. So it's that testimony in your heart as well that says, I'm here and I'm your father. Okay, you convinced? Uh, not really. Not really. Okay, so it's, it's one nil to the boy. Okay, but it goes on to say, they found him in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So the ball is now on the other foot. It's the teachers to ask, ask the boy a question. Um, <coughs> so if there's an all-powerful, all-loving God, why is there so much suffering it's in the world? a bit religious. <laughs> This is getting a bit religious. I expected questions about football or something. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. I don't know anything about football. Okay, right, here we go. If it's an all-loving, all-powerful God, why is there suffering? Uh, Trying to remember your RS lessons. Uh, because <laughs> otherwise there would be, like, no faith. Because if everything was easy, then, you know, it wouldn't be no faith and you wouldn't have to believe in God. You'd just get an easy. Convinced teachers? Yeah, it's good. Oh, that's, so that's one, that's two nil then. Okay, right. Okay, boy, your turn again. This is all unscripted, by the way. <laughs> Who won the FA Cup in 1990? Who won the FA Cup in 1990? Okay. Simon. <laughs> oh, no. Who can I guess? Uh, Chelsea? He doesn't know. <laughs> 1990. 89 was Liverpool, wasn't it? Um, well, that stumped you, wasn't it? So that's 3-0 that's to the boy. Okay, one last question. Trying to redeem yourselves. You might be. How do you manage to get along with your father? <laughs> Well, it is a bit annoying when he doesn't tell me about stuff. <laughs> Very good. Okay, I, st- I reckon the boy wins, don't you? Yeah, well done. Thank you, Thank you wise and learned teachers. Was it Man United? Oh, yes, it was. That's right. It's against um, Crystal Palace, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It went to uh, a replay after three all. Three all. Yep. Okay, I should have known that. Um, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father, I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's 
house. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. See, Jesus understood even at the age of 12 who he was. The incarnate son of God. And he prioritized being with his father and serving his purposes. And yet, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, his parents. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. As son of God, he understood and prioritized being with his father. As human, he submitted to his earthly mother and father and grew and developed. Somehow I can't quite get my head around the fact that the son of God needed to increase in wisdom. And yet, somehow, he grew in stature, that is, he just got bigger, but increased in wisdom. I wonder whether he increased in godly wisdom through both, through being with his father and in submitting to his mother and father, his earthly parents. Incidentally, there's a bit of a countercultural view of children here, at least as far as Greco-Roman culture is concerned, although maybe not Jewish. Cicero said this of children, the thing itself, that's a child, cannot be praised, only its potential. And a historian, Jay Gundry, says this, amongst the first century Greeks and Romans, there was a considerable pessimism about the child on account of his or her smallness, underdevelopment, vulnerability, capriciousness, ignorance, and irrationality. Qualities to be set aside through rigorous education and harsh discipline. And yet at 12, he increased in wisdom and was giving answers that astonished the teachers. Just to conclude both these little snapshots. I really want to honor those who walk faithfully with God for many, many years. God has put in you and built up in you and me, I suspect, a rich repository of truth that like Simeon is to be spoken out at the right time under the leading of the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit and his prompting, but be faithful and deliver it. Because all those years of being devout and righteous builds up in us a repository of wisdom, understanding, and truth that needs to be heard. For all of us, like Simeon and Anna, let's this year, this coming year, be full of the Holy Spirit, being guided by him, paying attention to what he shows us. And if you don't know what it's like to be full of the Holy Spirit, we'd love to pray for you afterwards. Let's like Simeon, hold on to what God has promised and spoken to us. God spoke to him that he would not see death until he saw the promised salvation. Once he'd seen the baby, he'd seen it. But he held on and held on and held on to God's promise to him. The promise of God to him was to the nation and also to him individually and he held on. Let's hold on to God's promises. Let's keep our attention on Christ recognizing him for who he is the one who forgives our sins saving 
lost people, putting wrongs right, bringing God's very presence, all those things tied up in the idea of salvation. And again, if maybe there's someone here this morning who just, just can't shake off a feeling of guilt of something you've messed up on, there's forgiveness for you this morning in Christ. Let's remember that this good news of Jesus wasn't exclusive. Simeon saw it was a light to the Gentiles, to everyone around. Even though some may oppose it, it's for everyone. And finally, I want to honor our children. You are capable of carrying God's wisdom. Because Jesus said, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you do it like a child. And there's something of simplicity and childlikeness that God highly honors and values. I want to encourage you that have gone past the age of 12, that God has invested huge responsibility in you. Forgive us if we've not released you enough to get on with that. I want to encourage you also to serve God and submit to your parents, both as means to growing in wisdom and maturity. And if I can be so bold, I'd like to finish parents and children in praying God's blessing on you children so I wonder if it's possible wherever you are in the room if you're near a child or more of yours if you could lay hands on them parents that would be great because this passage speaks to us of the incarnate Christ being significant even when he was 12 years old the incarnate Christ carrying the wisdom of God when he was 12 years old And I want to pray God's blessing on our children that they would, like Christ, increase in wisdom and stature. So if you're near your child at whatever age, if you could lay a hand on them, if they're not too embarrassed for them, we're going to pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You understand what it's like to grow up. You understand what it's like to be every phase of growing up. I pray now that with our children, you would cause them, like you, to increase in wisdom and increase in stature, increase in favor with you, God, and with men. That your favor would be on them. We pray this coming year for all our children, they would know your protection, your peace, your provision, security, freedom to grow up. Lord, I pray that they would know forgiveness, they would know your presence, they would know your blessing, and they would know an increase of wisdom and how to live. In Jesus' name, the same Jesus who himself increased in wisdom and favor. Amen.